Hello, everybody. So good to see you. And today we start a new series, and I'm really excited. I think it's the most important topic we could ever talk about. I think a really significant series. And so I'm looking forward to launching that in just a little bit. But uh, first, I want to say a word about the year end and 2023. It's really a financial consideration uh, in, because of the way our budget works. And so as you're praying about year-end giving, just know it makes a big difference, just like your host said earlier. When I look back at 2023, um, it's, I, I don't know that I remember as impactful a year as 2023. Uh, when I think of hundreds and hundreds of new people in our church, hundreds of baptisms, thousands of decisions made, when I think about what's happening in Kids Co., when I think about what's happening in student ministries and local good, it has outstripped every vision, every thought, I, every prayer that I, every imagination I, I had. And, and now to see that expanding, our Mandarin campus launching and the people that we're reaching in our community who are Mandarin speaking and globally what's happening. I mean, I just keep going. But in addition to that, I, I had no idea a few years ago that we would be part of a national conversation in the wider evangelical church in America, uh, helping the conversation or at least helping the helping American Christians and churches engage our culture in a more effective way, not repulsing people, but actually representing Jesus in a way that people can who don't know Jesus have every opportunity to see his beauty and to be able to uh, be able to come and see and connect with him. And it's just been an amazing year. And and so I say all that just to thank you, because all that happens because of you, your engagement and your serving, as well as your generosity. And the way our budget works is just year end as you're praying about where you're getting. I know many of you are regular givers. It's part of your budget. You're a plan percentage uh, priority giver, like we talked about. Some of you, it's more sporadic, but whatever God leads you to do, do that and just pray about it. And that's the right answer. So today we are starting a new series called Loved beyond reason. And it, and this series came out of a sabbatical I did, uh, two years ago and a passage that became the theme of my sabbatical, a prayer that Paul prayed for, for the Ephesian church. And I want it to be our prayer for this series. And it's from Ephesians three. And a big part of that prayer is that Paul says that, that with God's almighty power, that he would enable us to do something that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. To experience it. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He's saying that with God's almighty power. He's just praying God somehow. Would you help us. Be, in, in, the, in the verb form is begin to grasp. That he would help us begin to grasp how high and long and wide and deep is the love of God for us. Because it is beyond our imagination. We are loved beyond reason. And I'm going to invite you through this series to make that your prayer and just pray daily. Pray every time you come in here. God, would you open my eyes? Would you help me begin to grasp the height and depth and length and breadth of your love for us? And to get started with that conversation, I've got a question. And that question has huge implications for our life. Every part of it. Certainly our life with God, but our life with God affects every part of life. So it's all of it. And the question is this. How do you think God feels about you? Like when God thinks about you, how does that make him feel? Just 
Think about it in your own head. For some of you, you may say, well, I think he's happy. For some of you, it might be, I think he's disgusted when he thinks about me. I think he's disappointed when he thinks about me. Maybe delighted when he thinks about me. Maybe it's indifferent. Like, I'm not sure God really, you know, I mean, there's other people he cares about, but he's kind of, yeah, whatever, you know, on me. I don't know how, how, what the answer is, but I know this, that whatever answer you has, whatever answer you have in your head makes a huge difference. It's maybe one of the most important questions that you can have the right answer to. And I want to make sure that today we can walk out of here having the right answer. So that we can live in, like Paul said, in the fullness of all that he wants us to live in. And when I think about that question, it makes me think about an experience I had a number of years ago now in Ethiopia. So we have a global fund that many of you give to. And we have these global projects. And Ethiopia was a major one. If you've been around a while, you know that. Uh, It's now financially self-sustaining. So it's happening without us. And that's our goal with all of our projects Uh, overseas is to make them that way and so it took 10 years for that to happen and it's going it's going great even despite lots of challenges over there and our partner is a guy named Worku Taffeta who's just an amazing godly guy so this was the first year and part of that project uh, we planted about 150 170 something like that churches that are also pouring out love to the poorest of the poor in those communities including widows and widows in Ethiopia are it's very difficult for them because typically uh, the ones that we serve are out on the street. They're without us. They'd be homeless and not have food, not have medical care. And so we have a number of part of the project was a number of sites that are focused on caring for widows. And the first year we were there, uh, we were at this widow care center that was going that the people who were financing it were not doing that anymore. And so these widows were just going to be put out on the street and that wasn't going to happen. So we're like, oh, no, we'll we'll do that. Like, we're not going to let that happen. So this is when we were meeting these ladies. And at the time, medical care wasn't part of the project. Now it is. But at the time, it wasn't before we got involved. And so they were not healthy. And, and so they were sitting along there were probably 50 of these ladies sitting along the wall. Uh, uh, and we were meeting them for the first time and and Worku was the first one and so he was you know stepping down to meet these ladies and in the first lady he and he was kind of setting the bar for the rest of us what it would look like to greet these these ladies and he hugs them hugs this first lady and kisses on the cheek which they do you know this one and then this one and then is going to the next one before he does and I was next in line he looked at me and whispered he said by the way some of these ladies have leprosy. And I was like, what? Like, did you say leprosy? Like, and then he just goes on, like, like nothing is a deal. You know, I'm, and I pause, right? Because I'm thinking leprosy, like, leprosy. I didn't know that was still a thing. Like, like things fall off. Of, like, I, don't, I like all my parts. Like, I don't want anything falling off. Like this week, I did a, a container store, you know, put together a container store thing for a closet. As we're putting our house back together after a flood. And these are the extra parts. See, I just lost one right there. Um, and I don't mind having extra parts for a container store thing. But Jeff has no extra parts. Like I, God made me with all the parts I'm supposed to have, right? And so I don't want things falling off and whatever's going to happen. So, I, so I'm just freaking out. Thinking, how do, how do you get leprosy? And, you know, and so I had to decide. Am I going to kiss on these ladies like he is? What do you think I did? 
no way. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't. And so, but what I did is I, uh, I mean, I probably should have, but you go do that with lepers. But I, so I, I, I did reach down and I, I held their hands, you know, and, and, uh, and then I put them in my pocket because I had hand sanitizer in my pocket and then go like this and then go to the next one, go to the next one, go to the next one. Okay. Now I know I could have done better, but I wonder sometimes if that's how God is with me. Like he loves me because he's God. And, and I, I legitimately can say, I believe I had love for these ladies. But at the same time, the leprosy thing grossed me out. Right? I was like, uh, I don't know. You know? And sometimes I wonder if God's like that with me. I know he loves me because he's God and that's what God does. He loves. But it's easier for me to believe he loves me than that he likes me. That he delights in me. Because I know my own version of leprosy. I know my own failures, my shortcomings, my sin, my stupidity. I know, and, he, and I know he knows it way better than me. I only know a fraction of that. He knows all of it. And sometimes I wonder if God's like, I love you, but, ugh. you know, it kind of holds his nose and, you know. Um, but today what I want us to understand is it's not true at all. I, I want us to leave with the knowledge that, and God tells it, and all over the place, we're going to look at one place in the Bible, that God not only loves you, but he likes you. And not just likes you, he's crazy about you. And he delights in you. And it's over the top. And it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what's happened to you, what you did yesterday. Big failure, little failure, whatever. I mean, there's consequences, but it doesn't matter in terms of his love and delight in you. And, and this is crazy. And once we understand this, it changes everything about how we relate to him. And therefore everything about our life. Because if we don't answer the question, well, God, how do you feel about me? And we have the, if we're off there, we're going to be off. And most of us are off. And even when we're on for a little bit, it's easy to get off because it's hard to really believe what we're going to look at today. And we're going to do that in the book, uh, and I could have gone different places, but we're going to be in a, a book in the Bible I don't think I've ever taught from, which there's not many books left that I haven't taught from. And this is the book uh, of Zephaniah in the Old Testament. Zephaniah is one of the minor prophets, not minor because it's insignificant, but minor because it's short. It's a short little book compared to some of the bigger books like Ezekiel and Isaiah and, and Jeremiah and stuff like that that are major prophets. So it's a minor prophet because it's short. But please know, those of us who are short are still significant, right? And uh, some of you are tall, you're major, good for you. But some of us are short, but we still matter. And this little book matters too. Zephaniah is a, is a hard to read book for most of it. And that's, that's kind of a common structure of a lot of the minor prophets. Is the first big section of that, typically the biggest section is all about sin and how terrible it is and God's justice and God's judgment for sin if they don't change. And Zephaniah is, is a particularly hard-hitting one. And, and it's hard to read, but actually important too, because it reminds us how that sin is terrible and that injustice is awful and God cares about that. And sin is a big deal and God's justice is real. And the truth is, we want that. I mean, we don't necessarily want justice for us, but we do for others. <laughs> like, like when you see injustice happen in our world and people doing terrible things to people, which is all over the place. Like, God, what are you doing? 
How can you let that happen? Right? We want, we cry out for justice. We want God to be just. And even sin, right? We can understand, like with people you care about, people you love, friends of yours, or maybe family of yours, or kids of yours, or whatever, that when you see them make bad decisions and simple decisions, you know the consequences that come. Like, sin is terrible. And you're like, oh, man, I mean, I'm going to love you no matter what, but, oh, that's terrible. It's going to, that's not going to be good. And so sin is serious. Sin is terrible. Sin is awful. God's judgment is real. And that's the first part of the book. But then there's this change, there's this shift, and this is common structure in the prophets. And it's a very happy shift out of what we deserve and God's justice. And then it's, it's very sudden in 314. All of a sudden he says, after talking about all that and it's really bleak, he says, sing daughter Zion, another name for Israel, because Israel is God's people in the Old Testament. There were to be a light to the nations through whom the Savior came, Jesus, and came into the world, and now the people of God, Gentiles, everybody, all the nations who believe in Jesus, everybody who believes in Jesus is roped into his people, but this is Old Testament. So he says, sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. From out of nowhere, with all this judgment and all this darkness, it's like, rejoice and sing. And you're like, have you just read what we've all been reading? Like, how would, why would you rejoice about that? And the reason is, is the transition that God's heart is not for us ever to know judgment for sin. And that he was going to make a way where that would not happen for anybody who wanted that not to happen. That God would not give us what we deserve because that's his heart. Psalm 103, David said, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. That God is gracious and merciful. The Bible lets us know his, his mercy triumphs over his judgment and justice. And Zephaniah is going to point to 800 years later. They didn't know at the time it was going to be 800 years later, but he's pointing to 800 years later. What we celebrate at Christmas, how God comes here, how he invades this planet with his presence. Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, the son of God, is God who took on human flesh and came here to make it possible for us never to know his judgment. Because he takes the judgment on himself. And in the next verse, Zephaniah is going to point to this. Now, he's talking about the people of Israel because that's who he's talking to. But no, these promises that we're about to hear, you and I are included in if we know Jesus. Because it's going to be fulfilled 800 years later, and it's still in the process of being fulfilled. But the Bible lets us know all, all the nations. God didn't just care about one nation, but all the nations. And in Jesus, all the nations come together in his people and in the church. So what he talks about here. You and I are included in, okay? Even though he's focused on Israel because this is eight, like 2,800 years ago. Verse 15. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say in Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you in his love. He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Again, he's pointing 800 years later where this begins to be fulfilled at the cross. Because Jesus makes it possible for you and me not to get what we deserve for our sin. But to be freed from that, to be saved from that, to be forgiven for that. That's why Paul exclaims in Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
No condemnation if we open up our life to him. And it's not no condemnation, no judgment, because God just says, ah, whatever. I'm just going to forget about it. It's not that. God is just. The point of Jesus coming and dying on the cross is that God said, okay, I'm going to take what you deserve on myself. And when he died on the cross, it was to take the just penalty for sin that you and I deserve so that he could give us all that we don't deserve. That's grace. And that's what we celebrate when we celebrate salvation. It's it's salvation from sin and, and from its damage in our life, but also what we deserve in terms of God's judgment. And he takes it on himself. And not only that, he doesn't just forgive us. The promise is, hey, I'll be there with you. I'm going to be in your midst. And 800 years before Jesus, nobody would have ever guessed how close God wanted to be. Because it's not just in your midst. It's actually in your life. Because when we open up our life to him, we begin a relationship with God. He indwells us. He is closer than close. And he gives us everything there is to get in terms of spiritual blessing. But then he says at the end, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you as singing. And this is where we're going to focus. Because when you ask the question, how does God feel about me? Well, here's how God feels about you. First part of that, he will take great delight in you. You know how God feels about you? He delights in you. Now, that's a really strong word, delight, here. Um, and in one picture of that, God actually uses, we'll see in another place to help us understand how he feels about us. When I think of somebody delighting in somebody else, is of a bridegroom delighting in the bride at a wedding. Um, you know, as a pastor, I get a really great seat when I do weddings because I'm just inches away from all that happens. And I don't get to do weddings much anymore because years ago, um, my, my off day is Saturday, the way my work. So I work six days, Saturday's an off day. And what was happening, I mean, often things happen. It kind of ruins it. I mean, would not ruin it, but I, it makes it not an off day. But weddings typically happen on Saturday, right? So there were years ago, uh, some of the, our board members, I, I think I'd done three weddings in a row. And they were like, hey, when's your off day? Saturday. Well, like I've been to three weddings and you've been doing like, you know, when, that's not off. Like, you, you know, it's like, well, it's kind of off, you know. And they're like, okay, you can't. You got to change that. There's other pastors. So I don't get to do weddings much anymore. But it's always great to do. I always love them. And, and I've done a lot of them in the past. And you are just right there. And one of the coolest moments being that close to everything that's happening is when you're doing a wedding as a pastor, you walk out with the groom before the wedding party's there. And then you wait. And then the wedding party comes and the groom's like, yeah, whatever. But then the bride. Right. And it's like you can. You can almost, you're so close. It's like you can feel his heart beating faster. You can look in his eyes and sometimes they're tears, sometimes they're not, but there's always delight. And he's seeing like the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. I mean, it just, and you just get to see all this happening and it's just this wonderful thing. That's delight. In Isaiah, God uses that same image to help us get it. He says, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. God is just saying, hey, you want to know how I feel about you? Think about that. Think about the bridegroom watching the bride with delight and anticipation and heart beating faster with full joy and love. And that's the way God feels about you. And for some of you, maybe you're like, yeah, sure, I'm pretty great. But for others of you, 
They feel like, I don't think so. But it's true. And, and not because you're perfect, we'll get there. Not because you're whatever. It's just because you're you and he loves you. He uses another image. Actually, it's not even an image. Zephaniah goes on and he says, he will rejoice over you with singing. Now, this isn't a metaphor. This is like happens. Like if we were in heaven right now, I guess we'd be hearing this. When God thinks about you, you know what he does? He rejoices over you with singing. He like can't help it. He just starts singing. Now, I don't know what that sounds like. God loud singing. I'm sure it's better than me. Loud. I mean, you think God would be a good singer. He's good at everything. I mean, I, he's probably the best. I don't, I don't know. We'll find out when we get to heaven. But think about that, how undignified that is. You know, like if I, if I just start singing, I've got to be me. I've got to be me. I, I can't remember the rest of it. But like you'd be like, if I just broke out in song like that, like at the office or the grocery store or whatever, people would be like, are you, are you okay? Do we need to call somebody? Like, what, like you know, what's, you, I, I don't think. And in heaven, I mean, I, I'm sure angels are like, there he goes again, you know. But God does that for you. He rejoices over you with loud singing. And it's not dignified. And he's the God of gods and king of kings and Lord of lords. He's the creator and sustainer of all things on the throne. And God and all of his power and all of his glory. When he thinks about you, he just can't help himself. He rejoices over you with loud singing. Next time you wonder how God feels about you, think about the bridegroom. Think about God rejoicing over you with singing. It's pretty crazy, right? It seems too good to be true. And you're like, yeah, you don't know me. I, you know, I, I understand all those thoughts, but it's true. And when we understand it, it changes everything about how we relate to him. Because it gives us the kind of security and closeness with him that we can then have a real relationship with him. It's kind of like last week, you know, it was Thanksgiving and a lot of us were with family that we don't get to be around, you know, as much as we want. And that was certainly true for us. Uh, our kids live in the mountains. And so we went up to Colorado and, and we were there with family and, and we have two granddaughters now, uh, Mabel, who's a baby. She's not one yet. And Eden, who turned three not too long ago in October. So just great to be with granddaughters. And I grew up with a brother. And then my brother had three nephews. Um, and so I just know boys. Like I, and I, we rose, you know, we raised two boys and we loved them. And it was great. And it was fun. But I've just never been around little girls before. And little girls are pretty amazing. I have to say, like, little boys are fun, you know, but little girls, like, are, they say cute things and they're, you know, they're just different, you know? And so we love being with them. And I love the fact a couple of times I heard Eden, just as she was playing, the three year old, Playing by herself. Uh, she calls us Lolly and Pops. Christy, Lolly, and me, Pops. And, uh, and just under her breath, just to herself, I heard her a couple twice say, Lolly and Pops, they love me so much. And just, she couldn't help, like it was just something that just came to her when she thought about us. She's like, they love me so much. And she's right. And it's exactly, I never wanted her to feel any different. Because Lolly and Pops do love her so much. And we don't love her because she's perfect. Even though 
She's way better than your three-year-old little girl. I do. She's, but uh, she's pretty amazing. But she's not perfect. And as she grows up, she'll be less perfect. And she'll make bigger decisions with bigger consequences. And not all of them will be good. And I hope she'll make great ones and avoid the really big ones. But even if she doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that Lolly and Pops love her so much. And yeah, we'll hate to see the consequences and all that, but we'll help her through it and we'll love her no matter what. Nothing that she does can possibly change the fact that Lolly and Pops love her so much. And the same thing is true with you, with God. I mean, God hates it when you and I sin and we blow it and we make mistakes because there's consequences and he would rather us not have to go through that. But God is a redeemer and a savior. And you know what that means? It means that when you and I sin, it doesn't, it doesn't make God go, ooh, I'm getting out of here. Because he's a savior. God has moved to, toward our sin. Not away from it. Toward our dilemma. Not away from it because he's a savior and redeemer. And therefore, when you sin big, it invites God's presence in your life. And that may seem strange, but that's God's character because he loves you. And he will move toward you. And I, I could do a whole sermon on this. And there's one day I need to do some really cool passages in the Bible about that. But, but the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. It's, it's, his, it's our sin that actually attracted him to us as a savior, as a redeemer. And even when you sin, and some of you are trying to think, oh, my life's never going to be the same. I've ruined my life. I've made such a bad decision. I've made bad, all kinds of bad decisions. And, I, and God is a redeemer. And if you invite him into your life and invite him into that space, he will make it better, make you better than if the sin had never happened in the first place. That's what redeeming is. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's, God's pretty crazy in love with you. And he's a savior and he's a redeemer and he's good at it. And what if every time we thought about God, just sort of under our breath, like Eden did, Lolly Pops loved me so much. We just, every once in a while, we just like, God loves me so much. Because that's true. And that's the kind of warmth and security and certainty that God wants us to live in no matter what. And when we do, it really does change everything. So what does this mean? You know, well, for you and me, let's, let's say those here in the room or you're podcasting or watching online. If you don't have a relationship with God or, or don't know if you do, like, you know, I don't know what that means or whatever. Well, it means that the door is wide open for you. That God loves you is crazy in love with you more. You have no clue maybe, but he does. And he created you. He knows you. He's got a whole future for you. And the reason Jesus came is in part for you. And the door is wide open, not because you're wonderful and great and all that. It doesn't matter whether you're wonderful or great. He just loves you the way you are. Why we were yet sinners. He came for you. He died for you. And when Jesus, when we talk about Jesus dying on the cross, it's for your sin and mine. He offers all that as a gift. And, and listen to What he says next in Zephaniah, he says, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I'll bring you bring you in at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes. The invitation is for whom? It's for the lame the broken, those weighed down with shame, 
the outcast. It's, it's not for the perfect. In fact, the only, the only people that can't come into all, it, it can't enjoy all that God wants for them is perfect people. And guess what? They don't even exist. It's for imperfect people. It's for the broken, the lame, the outcast, the sinner, the struggler. And, and if you think church, it, it, what we are, is a bunch of people who have our act together. Like, let's say you're new to church and we we're have our act together. And, uh, and you don't. It's not church. Church is people who know we don't have our act together. And in some churches, it seems like that. that everybody does seem like they have their act together. Or they think they have their act together. And that's just hypocrisy. But... Here at Chase Oaks, we're a group of people who know we're, we're just a bunch of screw-ups that God happens to be crazy in love with. And it opens the door wide open to come as we are and to begin to walk into a whole new life as he begins to change and transform us. And tonight, today, you can come in through that door and say, yes, I want a relationship with you. For those of us who know Jesus... I think it's easy for us to hear a sermon like this and intellectually be like, okay, I guess that's true. I mean, maybe that's hard too. I get it because it is kind of crazy that God would delight in us that much. Rejoice over us with singing. Delight in us like a bridegroom seeing the bride. I mean, that, I get that can be a, a lot to take in. But even if we take that in, I think it's hard to really believe it. Like really live in the knowledge of it. Like, I have, a, I have a, a mentor and a friend that I've known for over 30 years, 35 years now. His name is Roland Foreman. He's one of the godliest people I've ever been around. He's a leader in New Zealand. Um, and we went to seminary together. He was very accomplished. I wasn't. Uh, I was just a young guy. He came in to go to uh, graduate school. We got to know each other. And he's one of the godliest people I know. And last year was his 80th birthday. And he was here in town, and I got to go to his 80th birthday party. And one of the godliest people I know, right, this mentor, wonderful guy, gets up, and he said something very profound at the party. He said, you know, all these years, I felt like such a disappointment to God. That I just assume when God thought about me, he's just so disappointed. And he said, what I've been learning lately, though, is, is different. Is that God's actually not disappointed. That he delights in me. And then he talked about this passage, Zephaniah 3. And God rejoicing over him with loud singing. God up there in heaven skipping and laughing and jumping with joy when he thinks about him. He said, I'm learning to live in the knowledge of God's delight in me. And that changes everything in our relationship with God and everything in our life when we do that. And my prayer is that we would be able to live in that delight. And so this week, I'm going to invite you to do several things just to help us sink it in. For one, the song that they, they, they sang earlier and uh, that they wrote. It's on, if you go to Chase Oaks Worship on Spotify or one of those other things, um, Loved by You is one of those songs. And let me encourage you to download it and just listen to it, listen to it, listen to it. Or every time you think about God, this week, think about how God thinks about you. Just say, God, thank you for your delight in me. And it's crazy, but would you help me just get it that you delight in me? That the way you feel about me is not disappointment, not something else. It's delight. 
And would you help me live in the security that comes from that? Just like Eden playing, that we can live in that kind of security, knowing that Lolly and Pops, or more importantly, God loves me so much. Because that's how God wants us to live, in the light of that. And then to step into all that he wants for us. So let's go to him in prayer now and ask that he would help us do just that. Father, first I pray for all of us, really, as we just come to you in prayer. And and God, for those who have yet to begin a relationship with you, and and I'm just going to talk to you now. I I know I've been talking to God. I'm going to talk to you and have you talk to God. For those of you who maybe have never taking that step to say, God, I, I'm, I'm in. Like, I'm re- I want a relationship with you and I get that it's not about me being good enough for you. I thought it was. Not very good at that. Doesn't work. And that's why you came. And you came to take the penalty for my sin so that I could be forgiven and you want to help walk with me into a whole new life. And God, I, I say yes to that. I, I want a relationship with you that starts now, lasts forever. And for those of us who've already taken that step, I invite us all just to say, God, would you help, help me see myself the way you see me? Like the bridegroom looking at the bride. God, would you help me know your delight? Despite my failures, despite my stupidity, despite all kinds of stuff, to know your delight in me. And to be able to live in light of that. Would you help me, as Paul said, would you open our eyes by your almighty power, because it takes your power, we can't get this on our own, that you would open our eyes to begin to grasp the height and length and depth of your love for us. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love that is beyond reasonable. Thank you that we are loved beyond reason. In Jesus' name, amen.